This is the Sunday Sermon Series for Sexagesima Sunday in the traditional Latin Mass calendar. The lesson comes from the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, taken from chapters 11 and 12. Brethren, you gladly put up with fools because you are wise yourselves. For you suffer it if a man enslaves you, if a man devours you, if a man takes from you, if a man is arrogant, if a man slaps your face. I speak to my own shame, as though we had been weak. But wherein any man is bold, I am speaking foolishly, I also am bold. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I, to speak as a fool, am more. In many more labors, in prisons more frequently, in lashes above measure, often exposed to death, From the Jews, five times I received forty lashes less one. Thrice was I scourged, once I was stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I was adrift on the sea, in journeyings often, in peril from floods, in perils from robbers, in perils from my own nation, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils from a false brethren, in labor and hardships, in many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those outer things, there is my daily pressing anxiety, the care of all the churches. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is made to stumble, and I am not inflamed? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that concern my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forevermore, knows that I do not lie. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of the Damascenes in order to arrest me, but I was lowered in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. If I must boast, it is not indeed expedient to do so, but I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who, fourteen years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows that he was caught up into paradise and heard secret words that man may not repeat. Of such a man I will boast, but of myself I will glory in nothing save in my infirmities. For I do not wish to boast, I shall not be foolish, for I shall be speaking the truth. For I forbear, lest any man should reckon me beyond what he sees in me or hears from me, and lest the greatness of the revelations should puff me up, there was given me a thorn for the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Concerning this, I thrice besought the Lord that it might leave me, and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for strength is made perfect in weakness. Gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the strength of Christ may dwell in me. A continuation of the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. At that time, when a very great crowd was gathering together and men from every town were resorting to Jesus, he said in a parable, The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside and was trodden underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And other seed fell upon the rock, and as soon as it had sprung up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. And other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other seed fell upon good ground and sprang up and yielded fruit a hundredfold. 
As he said these things, he cried out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But his disciples then began to ask him what this parable meant. He said to them, To you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to the rest in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, The seed is the word of God, and those by the wayside are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, that they may not believe and be saved. Now those upon the rock are they who, when they have heard, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, but believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among the thorns, these are they who have heard, and as they go their way, are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not ripen. But that upon good ground, these are they who with a right and good heart, having heard the word, hold it fast, and bear fruit in patience. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. So only announcement today is to tell you that at every Mass of mine, I say towards the beginning of the Roman canon, I pray for all my benefactors, spiritual and material. That's literally the words I place in the Roman canon, for all my benefactors, spiritual material, so know that I do pray for you and I thank you. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. So what is this Septuagesima slash Sexagesima pre-Lenten season really all about? It's about clearing out anything that would get in the way of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And most traditional Catholics usually put the ascetical life ahead of what most Catholics in the world do now, mainly because they're reading old school books that are very heavy on the ascetical life, and that is great. But a lot of times we can forget that the entire goal of the ascetical life is union with Jesus Christ. So let's look at that through the eyes of the saints today. St. Francis of Assisi said, By the anxieties and worries of this life, Satan tries to dull a man's heart and make a dwelling for himself there. So obviously one of the greatest ascetical masters of the West was St. Francis of Assisi. But in all of these feats that he did, it was all for Christ. You see, when we do these things without Christ as the center, it's pretty worthless. There are Hindu and Buddhist masters of the ascetical life, and they can go days and weeks without food or sleep just because of how they train their body. But they don't have that word of God that we read about in the, in the gospel today. The seed is up to Christ. The shaving away of our worries and our pleasures, that's up to us, or rather our cooperation with grace. And that's what we're going to look at today in the sermon is this interplay between the word of God, which is the seed going deep and taking root, and the shaving away of those thorns and even the birds. But the goal of all of this is union with Jesus Christ. And if the end is Christ, the means is the clearing of the soil. But notice that the clearing of the soil, again, it's not the end. There are people in the world who've trained their bodies to be very ascetically amazing, but they're not in union with Christ. Union with Christ is the goal. So we need the grace, but we also need the ascetical life to cooperate. So what do we learn today that actually gets in the way of union with Christ? 
both worries and pleasures. We often realize in Lent that it's the pleasures that get in the way, but it's interesting that we learn today in the parable that it's both worries and excessive pleasures that get in the way. And that's what we're called to reduce in Lent, even in this pre-Lenten season, even if we can't eliminate those things entirely. Not because pleasure itself is evil, but because of how often it gets in the way of how intensely God himself wants to populate his heaven with humans, we humans who get so attached to the earth that we won't even be ready for heaven with all of our attachments that grow day by day and year by year. But worries are a significant problem too. Now, are worries sin? Well, okay, so we do have to plan for tomorrow. Notice when Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. He doesn't say, don't plan for tomorrow. We can plan for tomorrow. And the saints, the saints do not say that anxiety equals sin. Anxiety does not equal sin. But listen to these amazing words from St. Francis de Sales. St. Francis de Sales says, Anxiety is the greatest evil that can befall a soul except sin. God commands you to pray, but he forbids you to worry. And remember the quote we started off from with St. Francis of Assisi? He says, By the anxieties and worries of this life, Satan tries to dull a man's heart and make a dwelling for himself there. So what we can extrapolate from that is that anxiety is not sin, but it often leads to sin. Yeah, we all have anxiety, so don't beat yourself up about that. Don't get scrupulous about the fact you may have anxiety. But one of the things you can ask yourself this pre-Lenten season is, what is causing me unnecessary anxiety? And honestly, for most of us, as I said last week, that has something to do with technology. But you see, that's why Sextagesima Sunday, it's not too late to make good resolutions for Lent. That's why the church puts this pre-Lenten season here in the traditional calendar. Yes, Lent sneaks up on us, but we have this pre-Lenten penitential season in purple to iron out the kinks in our resolutions. As you consider your resolutions, remember that conversion is the goal, not outdoing the next person in the ascetical life. Yes, it's true that mortification greatly aids in conversion, even mortifying the senses and issues that no longer cause you to sin. But what still is causing you to sin? That's the thorns and, cr- and the crows, the birds in today's parable that you have to get out of your life by God's grace. Now, silence is a great key to this stuff. And I don't mean getting away from your two kids or five kids or 10 kids or 20 kids. Asking God for silence doesn't mean overturning your vocation. But there is a silence that we can approach. There's a silence we can ask for. And there's a silence that we can work on, like reducing scrolling, reducing gossip, getting rid of TV, news, movies that aren't wholesome or religious. Getting rid of those things will lead to a healthier silence in your life. Divine Intimacy quotes St. Teresa Margaret saying, And since nature opposes what is good, I promise to declare a merciless war against myself. My weapons for the battle will be prayer, the practice of the presence of God, and silence. But, O my love, you know that I am not skilled in handling these arms. Nevertheless, I will arm myself with sovereign confidence in you, with patience, humility, conformity to your divine will, and supreme diligence. But where shall I find the aid I need to fight against so many enemies in such a continual battle? Ah, I know you, my God, proclaim yourself my captain, And raising the standard of your cross, you lovingly say, Come follow me. Do not fear. You know, some people think Carmelite spirituality is too extreme here in the 21st century. 
too extreme on being detached from anything that's not God. But at the very least, the Carmelite, the Carmelite way, especially for lay people, is simply detachment from anything you put before God. Okay, you ask, so what do you put before God? How do you know what you put before God? Well, it's very simple. Anything you're willing to sin with, with the interior excuse that the end justifies the means. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, here's an example. If you think you need to lie to keep your job, then actually your job is an idol in the place of God. God doesn't understand. Anytime we sin with excuses, it's usually a much more serious sin than we think. Really, these are first commandment violations. So you see, if you compromise your traditional Catholic convictions just to fit into work or even your parish or your family, these are things that are sinful. These are things that are taking the place of God. Did you hear St. Paul in the readings today? He himself often felt abandoned not only by Jews, but even by Christians. He wrote today in the lesson we heard earlier, A night and a day I was adrift on the sea, in journeyings often, in perils from floods, in perils from robbers, in perils from my own nation, in perils from the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils from false brethren. He means Christians there, and we know that life gets worse towards the end of the world. So if Paul not compromising on Christ will lead to that, then anybody out there who's really trying to follow Christ, uh, you're going to have some enemies. You don't have to make them your enemies, but they're going to make you their enemy if you're a non-compromise lover and follower of Jesus Christ and the magisterium of the Catholic Church as it has classically been given to us. So what then are we expected to stay strong on in our convictions when everyone calls us crazy? Okay, well, that doesn't mean you have to tell your family members everything they do wrong all day long. But if you personally compromise the truth for just, say, peace with your family, then your family may be an idol in the place of God. And if you think what I'm saying is too extreme, remember Jesus' words are more extreme in Luke 14, 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Luke fourteen twenty six. And what does our Lord and Savior mean there about your own life? What is meant by that? Well, for one, I think there's a lot of things, but for one, we all have excuses for our sins and our attachments. You know, if you think God doesn't mind you using drugs or violent video games just because you've had a hard life, then, well, you believe the end justifies the means, and those means of drugs or violent video games, those have taken the place of God. And these are the birds and the thorns in today's gospel that prevent the word of God from taking deep root in joy. But you know, there's other things. I guess that's an extreme example, things like drugs. There's, there's things that are not immoral, that aren't sin, that's fine to enjoy at times, that also get in the way. And that is what this season is about. Think about how St. Therese of Lisieux, she enjoyed her cake for the glory of God. So that's fine, especially in Easter season, to enjoy these things. But Therese had to be okay at the same time with not having cake if it wasn't available in the content, convent. And that's not because cake itself is bad, but because the good gets in the way of the great. And that's how you know you're not detached from putting even licit pleasures ahead of God is if you can't go without it. 
So one of the things to ask yourself is, what are you attached to at the price of your relationship with God? Making excuses and justifies the means. It might even be a relationship outside of your family that you think you need, but deep down you know is harmful. You tell yourself cutting off this relationship would hurt the other person, but you know if you keep it, it might drag you and this other person to hell. So you just have to please God and put God ahead of man on this stuff. But you probably see, this is why I can't tell you what to give up for Lent in your pre-Lenten season. It's whatever you're attached to and make excuses for at the price of your relationship with God. That's precisely what has to go. So from the gospel, we see that Again, the seed is the word of God, and Jesus Christ wants it to take root and with joy. This pre-Lenten season, it's time to identify those thorns of the spiritual life. Anything, whether licit or illicit, that gets in the way of that seed going deep so that those thorns can be nearly eradicated in Lent. Now, of course, some thorns we can't control. I don't know if you listened to the first reading today, but the fathers say that thorn in the side of St. Paul, the fathers say, most of them at least, say that that thorn was temptations against the ninth commandment. Now you'd think with such a great saint like St. Paul, God would just take it away because he, he took those away for people like St. Thomas Aquinas, but he deals differently with different souls. God did not take those temptations away from St. Paul. Where then was the grace, we might ask? Where was the grace if he didn't take it away? Well, St. Paul... He did not mentally or physically consent to those temptations. So he sees later that that too is grace. The strength in his personal weakness to resist, by God's grace, those temptations of the ninth commandment, the fact he resisted, that is God's grace. Just as the Apostle Paul wrote today, Concerning this, I thrice besought the Lord that it might leave me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For strength is made perfect in weakness. Gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the strength of Christ may dwell in me. I don't know about you, but I often feel weak during Lent. Morally weak, weak against temptation. Why is that? That's so we can cry out to God. So we know our weakness, so we know what we are without God. But God also expects us to ask him for more grace, not just to whine, I'm so weak. We have to ask him for grace to cooperate with that grace so as to conquer temptation. In the life of St. Anthony of the Desert, written by St. Athanasius, we we read this. Where were you, God? Anthony asked. Why didn't you ease my temptations and pains? And a voice came to him. Anthony, I was here, but I waited to see you fight. So we also learn from the readings today that we can't get rid of bodily weakness, but we can ask God to rid us of sin, especially those unhealthy attachments with which you make the best excuses for yourself, and you have to get rid of those too. Now, if you don't have any such deadly attachments, praise God, thanks be to God. In that case, give up licit pleasures and favorite foods for the salvation of more souls worldwide. Or do both. You can do both probably. Keep in mind, though, that the church fathers are nearly unanimous in saying that giving up sins of the tongue is more important than giving up fasting. It's really amazing how strong the desert fathers are against against gossip. But of course, on the other hand, fasting also greatly aids in eradicating sin from your life. So it's not really an either-or as far as giving up sinning or giving up licit pleasures. Give up both. Obviously, the tradition of the church is to give up both this Lent. 
And in this preseason, it's kind of like a pregame to practice as vigilantly as possible to get ready for that great fast of 40 days starting on Ash Wednesday. And then last thought for you in this sermon, it's on charity in heaven. You know, I often think through history, I often am looking back in my mind, wondering about different empires and ages and different ages of pagans and different ages of Christians. And I think a lot about how it seems that as time goes on in world history, that physical suffering decreases and psychological pain increases. On the other hand, though, we see that war and child slavery are increasing, so perhaps both are increasing. But definitely psychological pain is getting worse through the years. All all you have to do is look at the suicide rates, and they're higher than any time in all of world history. But then, did Christ free us? Did he actually free us from our enemies if suffering got worse year by year after his passion and resurrection? Well, here's the whole key to why he died for us and why free will continues in the world. It's because Christ gives us interior freedom through charity and grace. St. Augustine wrote, Love makes all savage and difficult things totally easy and almost nothing. Omnia enem seve temania prosus facilia et propenulia fecitamor. That is not a sentimental phrase. Love makes all savage and difficult things totally easy and almost nothing. That explains that we can only carry the psychological crosses of the 21st century of, say, divided families after COVID or good conservative Catholics attaching each other over the crisis in the papacy. We can only conquer that with love. Only love can make this current cross not only bearable, but even sweet. Otherwise, all of these thorns and birds we try to get rid of, it's all on our own. But when that word of God, that seed which is Christ, takes deep root in joy, in some sense that blasts away all of these birds and all of these thorns. Love makes all savage and difficult things totally easy and almost nothing. And so this shows, again, really the union of the real goal of all of the ascetical life here is union with Christ. The goal of the silence, even if you have kids screaming around you, the goal of turning the TV off is not to say, I had the TV off more than my neighbor at my TLM parish. It's to say, I've allowed the seed, which is Christ, to go deeper into my heart. That's the whole goal of this, is union with Christ. But even if you can't make perfect sense that you're suffering this Lent, or feel no affection for God and the crosses you bear, remember that the entire goal of this life is to exit it as sinless as possible to the better life that is heaven. You were made to enjoy the beatific vision forever in heaven, not to enjoy chocolate cake forever in heaven. We're not Muslims who have a pleasure-based view of the afterlife. St. Augustine also wrote, Look at things from the point of view of eternity, and then you will understand why God seems to be so rigorous with his friends and so favorable to his enemies. He means on earth. Why it seems that God is so rigorous to his friends on earth and so favorable to his enemies on earth Well, when you look at that from a point of view of eternity, ah, you start to understand why this is and its detachment and union. You were made to enjoy the beatific vision forever in heaven, so get ready for that. That is what this Lent is all about. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.